You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. We begin with a major search operation on Vancouver's west side. Dozens of people fanning out across the Dunbar area looking for a missing doctor. One of the last times she was seen is when she testified in court earlier this week. Our Cassidy Moscone is live with more on the search effort and how it's unfolding. Cassidy. Sophie, it's been a significant search today, to say the least. We're actually at a new location right now where police have secured off an area. You can see the blue tarp there behind me. Officers um, set that up and covered it with police tape just moments ago. Uh, they've also blocked off access to a lot that appears to go down a ravine, and we've seen several forensic officers and detectives walking out with evidence bags. Another location of significant interest today, the Pacific Spirit Regional Park, Dozens of officers out combing the trails there, walking side by side with volunteers, the woman's friends and family, but also off-duty firefighting personnel. The search party using rakes and flashlights foraging through the shrub. Cassidy, this is not your typical missing persons case. It's really not. Detectives have been tight-lipped on information. We cannot confirm the doctor's name or her identity for legal reasons. Her family tell us she was last seen on Tuesday when she testified at a trial in court. VPD is throwing a lot of resources at this investigation. We'll bring you more information from detectives as it comes to hand. Back to you. All right, thanks for that. Cassidy Moscone reporting in Vancouver. All right, now as we head into the fall respiratory illness season, the province is ramping up prevention and response measures. The latest round of COVID vaccines will be available soon, while visitors to hospitals and other healthcare facilities will be asked to wear a mask. Richard Zussman joins us from Victoria. Uh, Richard, how soon will British Columbians be rolling up their sleeves again? There's already worry, Sophie, about the health of our healthcare system, including hospitals. So these vaccines, they're going to start arriving pretty soon, potentially as early as early next week. There will be priority patients and the rest of the population will have access to a COVID shot. The goal is to get as many people this booster as possible. It's the shot in the arm the province hopes will help protect the healthcare system. We're starting to see more COVID in the community and I think that's no surprise to people. We're also starting to see other viruses. Unveiling Thursday, the full vaccine rollout for respiratory illness. Vaccines arriving soon. Healthcare workers will be the first notified to get the latest booster. Priority groups also include those with chronic health conditions, those 65 plus, people living in long-term care, Indigenous peoples, pregnant people and infants and young children. But their priority is for the flu shot. The rest of the public will be eligible October 10th with the plan to give both a COVID and flu shot at the same time. We want you to have that best protection of, during the period of time when the risk is greatest. Although COVID cases leading to severe illness are down, the virus is still transmitting. The province attempting to protect the healthcare system by doubling down on a mandate for healthcare workers to be vaccinated. The mandate remains anybody new to the system must get this, uh, must get vaccinated with this updated vaccine. But the mandate does not include a booster, meaning some healthcare workers have only two shots, with the last vaccine potentially being a few years ago. 
there's a whole combination of different types of immunity that's out there right now in our healthcare workers. And everybody who's working in our public system has that immunity. And the province adding another layer to protect a vulnerable healthcare system. Masking will be mandated for all healthcare workers, visitors, contractors, and volunteers. This applies to all patient care areas. Visitors to long-term care and assisted living must wear masks in common areas, but not in private rooms. The mandate also does not include doctor's offices, dentists, or other healthcare private practitioners, nor does it include patients. There are reasons why people because of the health reason that they're seeking care for, might not be able to wear a mask. And if you do come visit a hospital, you'll have to wear a medical grade mask. It may look like this. It may be an N95. You also see something familiar if you show up at the hospital. Those are ambassadors. The hospitals will be hiring people to stand at the entrance points to make sure you're wearing your mask, but also to check for symptoms of COVID-19 and flu. There is no doubt a lot of concern here that if we see significant spread inside the healthcare system, that could very much limit the ability to help protect British Columbians on a large scale here. All right, let's hope that doesn't happen. Richard, thank you. System is already stressed, and so let's bring in Keith Baldry now for a look, uh, a closer look, I guess, at the growing pressure that hospitals are facing. Keith. Yeah, and these pressures have been growing for some time. Chris, I've reported numerous times the last few months about record number of beds being occupied by patients. Usually it's the winter, but the summer our hospitals were very full as well. So the number of beds is increasing. That's another big part of today's presentation and briefing from Dr. Henry and Minister Dix. Here are some of the numbers we're talking about. On average, there's 350 more people in hospitals uh, from last September 2022 to September uh, right now. So that's an increase of a significant number. So the answer is to add more beds because of that high patient demand and that means we're taking the base bed from what would have been the year uh, a historic uh, number of 9202 to almost 10,000 beds of surge beds taking about 600 surge beds and putting them into the base bed uh, numbers that means nurses and machines will be assigned to these beds it's not just simply moving people in hallways it's moving them into a regular bed and that comes with it more staff and more resources the minister addressing that today so what we've done is established um, the beds that have the proper equipment that are in place and raise the number and build, we're going to build regular staffing around them. The key to those beds is not the space itself. We are, of course, building hospitals, as you know, around BC, but, uh, but uh, how we treat the beds, how we fund the beds, how we support the beds, and how we staff the beds. And clearly we're in a period where we've gone from uh, a time when 9200 base beds might be sufficient to a time now when we need to increase that number of beds, and that's what we're doing. So that's an increase of 680 beds taken off of the surge beds, which are hallway beds and such, and putting them into the base number. And that does require, as I say, more staffing. So the government also disclosing today more than 5,000 nurses have been added since January. And almost 500 of those nurses are foreign trained nurses. So we are starting to get internationally trained medical people into our system in much higher numbers than we've ever seen before. And they've never been more urgently needed than they are now. Mm -hmm, no doubt. Hopefully that takes some of the pressure off. Keith, thanks very much. A close associate of the B.C. sick leader who was shot and killed in Surrey earlier this year is speaking out and confirming he was warned about threats to his life. As Aaron MacArthur reports, he says police officers paid him a late-night visit. When Hardeep Singh Nijar was gunned down in the parking lot of the Guru Nanak Gurdwara, 
It was well known the community leader was in talks with the Canadian Security Agency and the RCMP. Since the Canadian government has made allegations of Indian involvement in the killing, it has become clear Niger was not the only one at risk. Gurmit uh, Singh Tour is also a strong advocate for an independent state of Khalistan. Speaking through an interpreter, he says he was warned his life was in danger a month ago. And when he asked uh, what was the reason or who was behind the threat, uh, the police and instead were unable to offer that information. According to Tour, he's one of three members in the community to have received warnings from the RCMP. Members of the RCMP and Surrey Police Department served him with a notice titled Duty to Warn. It reads, the police have determined by way of one or more investigative avenues that your life may be in peril. Tour signed it and requested a copy, taking a photograph of it, also requesting police protection. The police has stationed their vehicle for one or two weeks around in front of Mr. Tour's house. And there were some suspicious activities afterwards as well. And when the police was called, they did patrol that area. Global News has reached out to the RCMP to validate the authenticity of the notice. There has been no response to our request, but Global has verified the document is consistent with forms used by the BC RCMP. Are you concerned that Canadian authorities can't protect you? He feels that they will be able to protect him and he, and he hopes for that as well, but he is more confident now. The additional security warnings for Canadian citizens widening the diplomatic dispute between Canada and India. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A fiery crash involving a commercial vehicle has shut down the Malahat Highway on Vancouver Island. It happened around 1 o'clock this afternoon on Highway 1 in the Shawnigan Lake area between Bamberton and Mill Bay. RCMP say it may have involved a dump truck with a pup trailer and a car. The truck caught fire and sustained extensive damage. Emergency Health Services says one person was taken to hospital in stable condition. The highway is still shut down in both directions. Check Drive BC for updates. No word yet on when it will be reopened. Well, the mayor of Delta says Canada's largest container port is fertile ground for criminal activity because of a lack of policing. The concerns outlined in a new report about the potential risk to the public. Catherine Urquhart reports. More than 3 million containers are handled at Delta's Roberts Bank Terminal every year, making it the largest container terminal in the country, and it's expected to expand. Now, a new report for the city of Delta suggests a dedicated police force or integrated policing approach should be among options considered. It comes amid concerns about the movement of drugs, firearms and stolen property at all our ports. We all know we have a fentanyl crisis, not, not just in Metro Vancouver, but in the province and in the, in the, across our countries. And it's, it's just shocking, shocking that there is no movement by the federal government to reestablish a port police presence. There used to be a dedicated police force for the ports, but in 1997, the federal government eliminated Ports Canada Police. The new study, Policing Our Ports, delves into the issues and possible solutions. Among the findings, there is fragmented security responsibility involving Delta Police and other agencies. There's growing concern about organized crime infiltration 
and there are access control challenges, meaning concerns about security clearance processes for individuals working at the port. But they can only do inspections of containers at a 1%. So 1% of the millions of containers that are coming through can only be inspected. Port of Vancouver told Global News, in part, we work closely with local police forces and the RCMP, terminal operators and the Canada Border Services Agency to ensure safety and security at the Port of Vancouver. We're always open to collaborating on ways to improve the current approach. Delta's mayor says he has forwarded the new report to Ottawa and with the support of the Mayor's Committee of Metro Vancouver, he's calling for immediate action. For the families of the many victims of the fentanyl crisis we have, uh, we need to do better. We need to do this as urgent as possible. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. The faltering fleet at BC Ferries, yet another vessel in need of repairs, and how you should plan for travel with high demand on back-to-back -back long weekends. That's next on the News Hour. A legendary White Rock Cafe serving up a lot more than food. How it's a family affair to keep it running later on the news hour. Plus, a new tool to help prevent young skiers from getting lost on the mountain. That's coming up later as well. Right now, though, more trouble for the BC Ferries fleet as the corporation struggles to get everyone where they need to go for the next couple of long weekends. The spirit of Vancouver needs repairs, but it's going to remain in service. And we're learning the coastal renaissance won't be ready until December. Jennifer Palma has the details. The spirit of Vancouver Island welcomes passengers aboard as the vessel counts down to being pulled from the lineup, disrupting 14 upcoming sailings over nine days after the busy Thanksgiving long weekend. The vessel services the busy Tawasan to Swartz Bay route. Our engineers discovered a crack in a ballast tank while doing some uh, routine pre-sailing checks. And while we've completed some temporary repairs, and have permission from Transport Canada to, to remain in service through the long weekend. The news adding another layer of scheduling headaches for passengers and BC ferries as both the spirit of Vancouver Island and the coastal renaissance will be out of commission. I think we do need more ferries because what you're seeing now is uh, you're seeing all you're seeing is reservations continuously like we, we need more capacity. It was very easy to book a uh, reservation and so far it's been seamless. They uh, should have a, another ferry just as a spare for when stuff like this happens. The coastal renaissance has been out of service since August 17th due to a drive motor failure. The repair is happening in the United States. It'll be shipped back in the upcoming months. There's going to be a replacement of the rotor and there's going to be a uh, repair of the stator. Um, in terms of cost, uh, we estimate that the, that the repair is going to be in the region of about $3 million. The BC Ferry and Marine Workers Union says another vessel out of the water is a drain. You know, we look back at the last fiscal year, I think ferries reported you know, nearly 2,000 uh, service disruptions due to lack of crew and due to mechanical, and that, uh, you know, that creates frustration. Thanksgiving is considered to be one of the busiest foot passenger times for the ferries, but before then, there's this weekend's National Day for Truth and Reconciliation long weekend coming up. Look ahead if possible. Uh, if we know you're coming, uh, it works out best for both. The spirit of Vancouver Island will undergo repairs October 10th to the 18th. The Coastal Renaissance is expected to return to service mid-December. Jennifer Palma, Global News.
The price of gas had a major jump overnight and is now at its highest level in almost a year. Janet Brown now with what's behind the increase and how long it could last. A lot of gas stations we came across weren't that busy. Perhaps avoiding the price of gas that has jumped to around 214.9 a liter. Income is very low and prices are like day by day increasing. It's very stressful. It is insane. I've never seen it this high. And then three years ago, we had gas prices at like 99 cents. So what is going on? Folks are having a really, really hard time getting by right now. The Canadian Taxpayers Federation says 78 cents of every liter of gas goes to taxes. If government was serious about tackling the affordability, the inflation that's hitting everyday British Columbians right now, cutting the gas taxes would be a fantastic place to start. Gas here at this Langley Shell station is 2.13 a liter. And people who are filling up here today aren't happy. It's way too much. Uh, you gotta get to work, you gotta get home. It's a uh, necessity and it just keeps going up and up. I don't know when it's gonna stop. I'm shocked by groceries, I'm shocked by taxes, I'm shocked by gas, but you carry on. BC has the highest gas prices in the country right now. The average price $1.98 a liter. Ontario's average price $1.58 and Alberta $1.42. There are actually two refineries uh, that have uh, shut down uh, with mechanical problems in California. That's pretty much why we've seen the spike and there is no fallback. The Surrey Board of Trade says BC needs another refinery. Oil and gas is not going away as an energy source. It is a reality uh, here to stay. The opposition says the provincial government could make gas more affordable. They can do what we've been calling for for a long time, which is eliminate the provincial gas taxes, give people a break for God's sakes. Gas analysts say prices could drop by a penny or so on the weekend, but generally high prices are here to stay. Janet Brown, Global News. Just ahead, a dream vacation turns into a dud. We were so looking forward to it for four years. The lost bags and bad memories after failing to reach Mongolia for the trip of a lifetime. Why they never made it, next. Also tonight, rallies to save old growth forests and why these protesters say BC could do a better job. Traffic is moving well in both directions this evening at the Port Van Bridge and good news in Surrey just now cleared a multi-vehicle crash that was eastbound on Highway 1 near 192nd Street. Select Sussex Insurance and make a difference when you renew your auto plan online. Select your neighborhood Sussex Insurance location when prompted and help support Diabetes Canada exclusively at Sussex Insurance. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Port Man Bridge. A Vancouver Island couple is blaming Air Canada for ruining their dream vacation. It all started when their original flight was delayed for hours and they were rebooked on another flight and it got worse from there. Consumer Matters reporter Andrew joins us now with more. And Thanks, Chris. Paul Suter and Alyssa Yell say for years they planned a trip to Mongolia only to have their dream vacation destroyed before they even left Vancouver International Airport. They say their experience with Air Canada was like riding a roller coaster that ended with a crash landing. We were so looking forward to it for four years and it was taken from us by Air Canada. Alyssa Yell and Paul Souter say Air Canada has cost them a trip of a lifetime. 
The Vancouver Island couple had planned a horse trekking adventure in Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia. But on September 1st, the day they were scheduled to fly out of Vancouver, the couple received a notice from Air Canada stating their scheduled flight was delayed. Soon after, with bags checked in, Paul and Alyssa received another notice indicating a delay due to pilot scheduling issues. When they asked an Air Canada agent if they were going to make their connecting flights, they say they got this response. She just looked at me, shook her head no, and that was my answer. The couple says the flight from Vancouver to Montreal with a connecting flight to Istanbul was crucial. If they didn't make it, they wouldn't arrive at their outdoor adventure in Mongolia on time and would be out thousands of dollars because it's non-refundable. Eventually, an Air Canada agent issued them new flights on a different route so they could arrive on schedule and told them it would be no problem to retrieve their bags in the domestic area at YVR and recheck them internationally. But Paul and Alyssa say Air Canada employees at the baggage claim counter would not remove their bags from the original flight. The agent basically said that they will not delay flight 306 any longer to Montreal uh, in order to get our bags off and they will not be removed. With their bags containing all their camping essentials stuck on their original flight and the couple now rebooked on a different flight, Paul and Alyssa say it was impossible they would arrive in Mongolia on time and made the heartbreaking decision to cancel their vacation. There's no way possible within a reasonable amount of time and effort that we could replace everything and carry on with our holiday as planned. Paul and Alyssa ended up filing a claim to get their bags. As it turns out, one bag never left Vancouver and the other three arrived at their doorstep 24 days later with tags indicating their luggage had flown internationally without them. Air passenger rights advocates say Air Canada is guilty of a safety violation for not removing the bags in the first place and the couple should be reimbursed for their losses. The passengers made a reasonable good decision in circumstances not to travel when the airline willfully deliberately refused to give them their baggage. The airline has to refund the entire airfare. That's what the APPR says, that's what they have to do. Turkish Airlines refunded the couple $8,000 for the returning leg of the flight. As for Air Canada, Paul and Alyssa say they received $400 each from Air Canada for the delayed flight and a 25% off one-time-use coupon for future travel with Air Canada. But when Consumer Matters reached out on the couple's behalf, we were told we are expediting the refund of their tickets, which is taking longer than normal as affairs were originally purchased and ticketed through another carrier. As well, Air Canada's policies to meet all APPR requirements and compensation in this case will be paid as appropriate in situations where passengers elect not to travel. Finally, we are providing additional goodwill gestures. Still, Paul and Alyssa say they are out thousands of dollars for the loss of their dream vacation. It does not replace our holiday that we're missing. It feels like a slap in the face. And just today, Paul and Alyssa say they received over $4,600 from Air Canada for their lost luggage, which showed up 24 days later. They also received vouchers worth $2,000 each for future travel. Still, they are waiting for a full refund for their flights and other expenses. Meantime, Transport Canada told Consumer Matters there are requirements in place for airlines with respect to matching checked baggage with passengers on board flights, but wouldn't tell us 
what's more, saying it would compromise the safety and security of travelers. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks for that, Anne. Coming up, government money used to buy street drugs. It's a totally unacceptable situation. BC United leader Kevin Falcon wants it to end, but supporters argue it's helping keep people alive. First, though, pushing the province to do what it promised, protecting old-growth forests. Good evening. Traffic is steady both ways over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Just a bit of leftover volume eastbound along the east-west connector through Richmond. Select Sussex Insurance and make a difference. When you renew your auto plan online, select your neighborhood Sussex Insurance location when prompted and help support Diabetes Canada exclusively at Sussex Insurance. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. More than a dozen communities across B.C. saw old-growth rallies today, three years after the NDP's commitment to the old-growth strategic review. The protests didn't quite draw the numbers they have in the past, but the message for the government to take action is still clear. Through songs and signs, they're sending a message. It's good to see you today. Reminding the provincial government actions speak louder than words. They gave the promise that they would protect ancient forests, old growth forests, and they have done nothing but attack them. The timing of the rallies being held in 17 ridings across BC is significant, marking three years since the province released its 2020 old growth strategic review, committing to the 14 recommendations put forward. And it just hasn't happened yet. So what we need to do is act much more quickly. We need to get the NDP to commit to this. It's not for lack of trying. On top of these rallies, protesters have spent months on end blockading the Ferry Creek watershed. This, despite repeated calls from area First Nations to leave. The civil disobedience has resulted in roughly 1,200 arrests. It's the despair that's creeping in. There's a huge swell of anxiety in the young that nothing is really happening. But there's a chance some have simply given up. The turnout here in Langford, a reflection of that. A major departure from just a few years ago, where massive crowds came to protest outside the then Premier's constituency office. Many people are working, many people have jobs. We're very happy that all these people showed up here. According to BC's Forest Minister, in the past year, the government has reached 2.25 million hectares of old growth deferred or protected since November of 2021, with more work on further deferrals underway with rights and title holders. But those here say that doesn't go nearly far enough, and they have no plans to until all 14 recommendations have been met. Kylie Stanton, Global News. BC United Party leader Kevin Falcon is speaking out against a safer supply drug program that he says is breaking the law. As Paul Johnson reports, Falcon says Vancouver Coastal Health is funding a program that helps an advocacy group buy and sell illegal drugs. That's what we do. So we sell heroin, cocaine and methamphetamine. 
Check out the inventory at the Drug User Liberation Front's shop in East Van. Drugs, they say, that have been tested for purity and dosage that are then sold at cost or given away to known users. It's only, only to make people's lives better and our communities better and safer. Buying and distributing hard drugs is still illegal in Canada. And Dolph's founders knew they were courting criticism when they started a couple of years ago. Now, documents obtained by Global News show part of Dolph's operations are funded by taxpayers, getting 200 grand from Vancouver Coastal Health in 2022. If Dolph wanted to draw attention to their cause, they've succeeded. Why are taxpayer dollars going to a group called the Drug User Liberation Front that is supporting, frankly, organized crime by buying these drugs on the dark web and then trafficking them here in British Columbia. I think it is a disgrace that the NDP government in BC, with the support of Justin Trudeau in Ottawa, are happy to give hundreds of thousands of tax dollars to illegal drug dealers. We asked BC's Ministry of Mental Health about the issue, and they deferred to Vancouver Coastal Health who said the money was given for overdose prevention and drug checking. And Dolph says they only make their buys with donated money. Like, we're, we're not under, under no kind of, you know, presumption that buying off the black market is a good thing, like, all in all. But it's the only option that we have. Dolph's Jeremy Callicum says there hasn't been a single fatality connected to their program. And an ongoing study they're doing has found the program has improved the lives of drug users. But he says he's well aware they're legally offside. And if a day comes when there's a knock on the door, he's at peace with that. If being that is, and saving lives means that, you know, I'm a criminal and I'm going to jail, uh, that's just the way it is. In East Van, Paul Johnson, Global News. Right now, the age for women to screen for breast cancer in Canada is 50, but there's a call for that age to be lowered further. A survey for Breast Cancer Canada has found a strong majority of Canadians, 89%, want to see the screening age lowered. 79% want to see gathering of race-based data around the breast cancer issue to help with research, detection and treatment. As a result of the findings, Breast Cancer Canada has launched a registry to hear from people who've had breast cancer about their experiences. Learning more from diagnosis to treatment could help improve outcomes. Research has shown treatments are more effective when started early. Coming up, serving up success. This was a post office originally and then became the diner. 100 reasons to visit the Five Corners Cafe in White Rock. And coming up later in sports, leading by example, how Ryan Gold has been gold for the Whitecaps. From the stories that affect us all, to a look at what's happening right now around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. A Penticton father is hoping his invention will help keep children safer on the ski hill. Keith McIntyre got the idea when his son got lost on the mountain during his very first ski lesson. He was found safe and sound after a hectic search, but McIntyre was determined that no parent should go through the same thing. So he invented a new device. We solved it with Ski Crumb, so it's a small uh, device that doesn't rely on the cell network. 
and uh, parents can see live locations. Sometimes we do have parents coming to us saying, hey, we've lost our kid. We were supposed to meet at the bottom of the quad chair and they're not there. Can you help us find the, the child? So we get a you know description of the child and we kind of get it out on all of our staff and all the radios and we all go looking for, this will just make it so much easier. Apex Mountain Resort is the first mountain to give the ski crumb the all clear. Parents register in the app and pay for it and then pick up the device at the resort. Just want to clarify, I don't think that was Keith McIntyre's son. Doing the doing flips? The flips after his very first lesson. I'm just <laughs> going out on a limb. Won't be long now with the snow piling up on some of those peaks. We've seen it recently, Christy. Totally. I, I think I'll take five of those items. One for each of my child, one for my husband, one for my keys, and one for my cell phone. Because I'm losing idea. all of those. You're lucky to come all back right. from the ski hill with all those things. Yes, exactly. All right. So um, we've had certainly some improvement in terms of the fires across the region uh, because of the rainfall that we've seen over the last week since basically the start of fall. Only four fires of note today and we have 360 fires. So we're starting to come down. But the best news of all is this. When we look at the drought across the South Coast area, we were just last week at an extreme level, level five. We've now decreased to a level four. And that's the case uh, through the Central Coast and the North Coast has downgraded to a level three. So improvement there. But those of you across northern regions, you were at a level four. Now you've increased. So there's been less rainfall for that northern portion of the province and the BC Peace River area. Majority of the rainfall have been along the coast. But nice to see some improvement. We need more rain to continue that trend. Today, we had a number of rain showers across the region. A few lightning strikes as well. But the key was that the temperatures were cooler for the forest fire fight. We are going to see a transition towards warmer weather with that ridge of high pressure expected over the weekend. But in the meantime, we have special weather statements in place. This is for the connector as well as the Kootenai Pass. So we're expecting snow on those passes at the highest mountains tonight and tomorrow morning. All right, here's a look at the clearing trend. So tomorrow's a transition day. Any areas with cloud cover or a slight chance of showers is really through the morning hours and a clearing trend is as expected as the ridge of high pressure develops. Lots of sunshine expected across the south coast, although we may see a little bit of cloud cover in the morning. Plenty of sunshine through our Saturday and Sunday. Also, it looks like the rain could move back in on Monday, bringing in a little bit more uh, rain, even potentially Tuesday and Wednesday, but there's still some uncertainty around that. So tune back in over the weekend and we'll update you on that. Keeping our fingers crossed, though, that we do see that. Look at these beautiful fall colors from Logan Lake. Wayne sharing this with us with uh, one lone boater out there in the middle of that calm lake. Beautiful shot. Thanks, Wayne, for that one. Some good trout fishing out there. I know it. I've been on it. Thanks, Christy. All right. Squire, your seating arrangement looks slightly different. Well, it's no longer red. <laughs> it's on the gray they changed, couch. They they changed debut. it. We're now, look at this. We now got a lovely gray. Oh, sorry. Yes, I almost always wear my runners. Uh, <laughs> they have a lovely gray. Great. More cushiony. <laughs> we may take a nap after the show. Here's the place up for you. All right, what's, hap what's happening? Uh, the Whitecaps got in a tie game last night, but it's a game they thought they should have won, and Fanny wasn't happy. It was very confusing, and it was everyone. So I, I didn't like the team, to be honest. Doesn't look very well, does he? Uh, this did end the seven-game road trip. I think you can hear in Vanny's voice, everybody is tired and very happy that the road trip is finally over. Also tonight, this is BC, the old-school charm of White Rock's Five Corners Cafe and the family that keeps it going.
Squire well, Barnes, yeah. Guy you can't dismiss. Okay, Squire, <laughs> good. go ahead. Very good. When the Canucks traded for Casey DeSmith, that was a sign that Arthur Shilovs and Spencer Martin were not in the running for the backup job to Thatcher Demko. It's now Casey DeSmith's gig. Today, Vancouver put Spencer Martin on waivers, but if nobody claims him, they would have to keep him and send him down to Abbotsford, where Shilovs will be as well. Now, he started as a backup, and then he had uh, to be the number one guy last season when Thatcher Demko got hurt. He was okay at the start of that stretch, but eventually he just wore down under the workload and the pressure. Lost his last nine starts for Vancouver. Ended up back in the minors, where he did help Abbotsford make the playoffs and win the first round. Um, maybe he's an NHL goalie one day, but right now he's three or four, maybe five, on the Canucks depth chart. I think they'd like to trade him, actually. Uh, we mentioned Casey DeSmith. He played the entire game for the Canucks last night in Edmonton. Exhibition, of course. He was still wearing his Pittsburgh Penguins pads and mask. And considering how many ex-Penguins are running around the Canucks these days, I can see where he might have gotten confused. But he will have Canuck colors on sooner or later. He played decently last night in a 2-1 overtime loss. Made 27 saves in the game, six of them on the Oilers' power play. And Edmonton had all its top guys playing last night. He, of course, played 134 games with Pittsburgh before, so he has the confidence of Rick Tockett already. Yeah, Casey's done that before where, uh, you know, I remember him in Pittsburgh where he can, you know, sometimes he hasn't, he wouldn't play in two weeks and come in there and, and play really well. So, um, you know, he's, he looks big, he looked big out there tonight. Look who it is. First exhibition game for Connor Bedard. And they packed him in, even though it's a preseason game in Chicago to watch number 98. Oh, what a move. Oh, didn't score. But again, it's just exhibition. He's getting used to it. A little defensive work from Bedard as well. He is selling a lot of tickets in Chicago and creating a lot of buzz already. Well, the Vancouver Whitecaps seven-game road trip came to an end last night in Colorado. It was a two-all tie. In the big scheme of things, the road trip didn't go all that badly, and getting one point at the end is okay. But the Whitecaps really should have won this game last night. Colorado's the worst team in the West. But the fatigue make that of 41 days away from BC Place probably caught up with them in this game because even Vanny looked burnt out. We were destroyed. We couldn't press. And every ball was playing out and inside, out and inside. And, and um, yeah. The first half was familiar. The Whitecaps got off to a quick start. Matias Laborda scoring in the 11th minute. But they also missed glorious chances to add another, like this shot from Richie Larea, which would have been three points if he played for the BC Lions, but it was zero for the Whitecaps. The second half looked a lot like the second half of the road trip. Vancouver was completely discombobulated. Um, it's two games in a row now where we kind of start the second half on the back foot. Uh, they get a goal early and it changes the game, and um, that's something we need to address as a, as a team in the locker room. Uh, because, you know, you're not going to win a lot of games. You're not going to make a playoff run with that kind of um, reaction in the second half. Brian White did salvage a point for Vancouver with a late goal. Another header is 13th of the year. But for Vanny Sartini, tired or not, this was a missed opportunity. When the team doesn't play very well, it's, it's my fault, to be honest. And probably uh, chose the wrong man today, chose the uh, wrong approach to the game. And worse than not winning was losing Ryan Gall to a sore foot in the 52nd minute. 
he may have to miss Saturday's home game against D.C. United because of it. The B.C. Lions have put Colin Kaepernick on their negotiation list. All that means is if he wants to try at the CFL, the Lions would have first right of refusal. Now, he has never said he wants to play up here. Montreal at one time had him on their negotiation list, and it didn't come to anything. He would love to play again, but in the NFL. He hasn't played, though, in seven years. Mm. All right. Thanks, Squire. All right, we have some breaking news now about the search for a missing doctor in Vancouver. The Vancouver Police Department just releasing an update. Our Rumina Dea live at VPD headquarters with the breaking details. Rumina? Sophie, I just got some details a few moments ago, and tragically, it's a horrendous outcome to this search after... This family went out and put this desperate plea out looking for their loved one. They said it was completely uncharacteristic for her to go missing. We saw that huge police presence out there in, in Cassidy's piece today. And now we're just learning from the VPD. I'm just going to read this out to you that the search for the missing woman has ended tragically. She's 55 years old. Her remains were discovered in Vancouver's Southlands neighborhood. The Vancouver police are saying they launched an investigation into the disappearance of Tracy Pickett on September 27th. That was yesterday after she was reported missing from her home by a family member. Now, earlier today, Tracy's body, the VPD are saying, was found by officers who were searching for her in the area. Now, the VPD are telling us that they are continuing to work with the BC Coroner Service on this. And at this time, this is really important, they say that regarding the cause of death here, they're saying at this stage in the investigation, Tracy's death does not appear to be the result of a crime and there is no public safety risk. Back to you. So many more questions, though. Thank you very much for the update. Ramin and our thoughts are with the family, of course, tonight. Uh, not the news anyone wanted to hear. All right, we will be right back with the news hour after, after this break. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. Jordan Armstrong here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, a full-patch member of the Hells Angels is among four people who've pleaded guilty in a massive drug investigation. We'll have details tonight. Also, Prince George RCMP are now urging the public to stop feeding coyotes after a sixth attack in recent days. That story as well tonight on Global News at 11. Sophie? All right, thanks, Jordan. People who live in White Rock sure know Five Corners Cafe. It's a classic place to get a great breakfast. It's been around for more than 70 years, and locals line up for it on the weekends. As Jay Durant discovers on This is BC, a mother and her two daughters are keeping the legacy alive. Lunch rush at the historic Five Corners Cafe. You should see the weekends. The popular White Rock eatery with a colorful past. This was a post office originally and then became the diner and then remained a diner through 40s, 50s, 60s until present day. We got a menu from the 60s, uh, cheeseburger, 55 cents. Owners Catherine and her two daughters have kept it authentic after all these years. We don't have Wi-Fi. I don't do skip the dishes. We do cash only. We just have straight up diner coffee. I don't do lattes. There's a wall of honor for longtime customers above the bar. Doc gave me a clean bill of health. Yeah, that's awesome. It's hard not to build a relationship with people when you see them every day. The cafe has been the scene of many film and TV shoots and some vintage music videos. Satisfied. 
Music runs in the Honeywell family. Catherine's husband and two sons have played some gigs here together. The connection to this place dates all the way back to 1978 when Catherine was first hired as a server. This just happened to be the street I walked up and this is the first business or the last, depending. She spent the better part of four and a half decades here, a cafe that's quite literally a home away from home for the Honeywells. This is also where I grew up in a way and it just kind of made sense that one day this would happen. I think it's just kind of crazy how it's been in our lives always. I've always had such a, I don't know, a love of this place ever since I arrived. And I think they really enjoy working here as well. It's been amazing. I have, truly have the most amazing family. Jay Durant, Global News. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that involves great looking food like that, because mm -hmm. uh, it always makes us hungry, email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Stomachs are always grumbling here on the news hour set. I guess it's, this is, like, it's dinner time. It's kind of dinner time right now, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay, nice to see some beautiful blue sky and sunshine today and more of it on the way. Yeah, I mean, we certainly need the rain. We know that, but it is nice to have some sunshine in the mix, right? Mm -hmm. And especially when it times it out just right over the weekend. So great. Well done. We got a little tease of the gray couch tonight. I guess it'll get its full debut tomorrow. It's beautiful. Morning show. <laughs> you can take a nap now, Squires. Okay, Spread thank you. <laughs> Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night.